Wait, seriously, when are we going to have Jarrell on an episode? He does not need to be on an episode because I don't think he could keep it um, PG. <laughs> See, that's exactly my reason for Evan not being on the podcast. Maybe one day. That's very exciting. I I do. I would like to pick his brain about aliens, so I have a lot of opinions <laughs> about that. Um, so funny story. Last was it last episode? God, it feels like three months ago, but also could have been yesterday. Um, when I told you to watch a TV show and I told you the wrong name of the yes. TV show. <laughs> and I watched a different show. I got I invested. I got invested. My heart was broken. And I was like, what the heck, Rachel? Oh, no. Only <laughs> I was like, it's only four episodes. And you're like, what, what are you talking about? It's 10. And so Rachel told me to watch Catherine the Great. And so it's I went and I like go on to Hulu. She said it was on Hulu. I go on to Hulu and I'm like, Catherine the Gate. Great. And I see that it's on Hulu, but it's like you have to have like an HBO add on. And I'm like, hmm, Rachel must be balling. Like, <laughs> see, that's where you should have been able to tell. I don't have money. <laughs> well, I don't know. But I do have HBO. So I went and I watched it. it ended up being a four episode miniseries. Super serious historical like drama but very like feminist but it shows like her her flaws it was a very good thing and i was like hmm. i was surprised that rachel liked this but i was like really i was gonna excited. say that sounds like something i would hate <laughs> i was like i liked it and turns out she really meant that she wanted me to watch the great, the great. based on Catherine the great i guess <laughs> It's, well, I'm glad that you ended up liking the other show and it wasn't, like, something super weird. Um, I would say that I would watch it, but A, I'm poor and don't have HBO, and B, it does not sound like something I'd like. Because the reason I like The Great is because it's, like, humorous and, like, comical, and it goes back and forth from, like, serious to, like, really funny. And it has, a, uh, I think it's Elle Fanning in it. Oh. Dakota Fanning's little sister. Actually, I feel like I tried to watch it once. It does it have um there's a what's that guy? Um he looks like a vampire. Yeah, the Whatever. lead guy. He's in some other show that I didn't watch, but I did I have read that like he's from something else. Okay. Yeah, I I think that I have um I tried watching like a few minutes of it. I didn't get into it at first, but I will certainly go back and try this time. <laughs> I started to watch Schitt's Creek, but I'm not that far in. It's good so far, though. I started rewatching it last night. <laughs> oh, it, didn't it end? Like, isn't that the thing? Is that they had their final season or something? Yeah. So I, I've seen it all, and... This is my third rewatch in quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I saw on Facebook or something that today's like, or yesterday, someday recently was the 20th anniversary of Gilmore Girls. What? 20 years? I know, right? Isn't that disturbing? Oh my God. <laughs> That's so weird. So it came out when we were six years old. I started watching it. I I started watching it, I think maybe like 2000. 
four or five on um what was it? ABC Family? Like it would come on every day at like five o'clock. And so I would eagerly be sitting at the TV at like four fifty eight, like waiting for Gilmore Girls to come on every day. Oh, those were it. the days, man. <laughs> you know, as much as I love Netflix and streaming services, nothing beats like the nostalgia of like, oh, we have to be like sitting here at this time to watch yeah. this show. And this is the only time it's on. I can't find it on the Internet. Yeah, it was like an event almost, even, you know, if it's just you, it's like, this is something I'm looking forward to. Um, Now I'm like, I'll let those episodes build up. (laughs) Right, right. We just started watching Emily in Paris. It's kind of, (laughs) I kind of hate it, but I also love it. I don't know. Why do you hate it? It's just so like stereotypical, like... Just, like, and the issues they talk about are just not handled well. And it's just, like, it's hard to take seriously. But Abner and I are watching it because um, he wants to learn French. So he was like, oh, they're going to, like, talk some French. But it's, like, a total girl show. Like, I don't think that it appeals to male audiences at all. Um, I I like it because it's... I think it's just very cutesy. Like, it's very right. low stakes, and I feel like I watch a lot of stressful shows. And I think it's okay for some shows to be, like, mediocrely good, <laughs> if that makes True. sense. True. True, um, yeah. it's There's not going to be any surprises or anything that, like, really breaks your heart. Yeah. So... Um, it's yeah, safe. I mean, it is it is very much like in the world of like privileged, beautiful white woman who somehow, you know, becomes Instagram famous for cute pictures. Like it's strange, but um, I don't know. I like Lily Collins. I like the characters. Yeah, I'm surprised because Lily Collins usually is like a more serious actor. So it's interesting to see her in this role. But and. Also, her dad is, like, the greatest musician of all time. God bless Phil Collins. Just putting that out there. Oh, I didn't know that. What? You don't know? You didn't know that her dad was Phil Collins? I'm out of the loop. (laughs) Well, the Tarzan soundtrack is one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. Thanks to Phil Collins. (laughs) I read that he recorded it in, like, every language. Really? I, that's just on the internet, so who knows if it's true. Well, I want the Haitian version. Well, I don't. I don't know if I can promise that, but <laughs> it was at least in like French and something or other. Who knows? I believe it. There. Have you seen these YouTube videos of these two kids? These two black kids. Um, they have to be teenagers, maybe like fifteen. Um, and they record themselves like on video listening to. I guess quote unquote old music and they're like freaking out for instance they did one where they're listening to like Phil Collins and they're like oh my god who is this guy and I'm like oh my god are you guys aging me <laughs> like <laughs> you're making me so old um but then they like listen to like Dolly Parton Jolene and they're like oh my god who is this lady she's amazing like losing their minds or like True. Fleetwood and it just makes me feel so old because i'm like (laughs) yeah i feel like we we as 26 year olds are just starting to feel old like i'm just now starting to have there be like celebrities and like children's tv shows that are 
that I like genuinely do not know who they are or like and I remember the first time I experienced it was when I started listening to Halsey she's younger than me and like that was the first time that that was a couple years ago I was like oh my god she's younger than me what am I doing with my life and now I experience that on a daily basis Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. So today we are going to be talking about psychics who have solved crimes. So it's a little bit different from what we usually do, but we're continuing along with this Halloween theme since we are um, a few days into October at this point. By the time you hear it, we'll be deeper into October. Um, so before we get started, once again, leave us a review, tell your friends to leave a review, because for every review we get, we will A, be really happy. Oh, I already did this where I said A, this, and then B, that. It's fine. Now I'm getting stuck in like these little loops. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, anyway, we, it will make us very happy. And it will also, we will also donate a dollar to the National Center for Victims of Crime. So it's a win-win situation for everyone. Um, And I think, well, it's my turn to go first this week, right? Yeah, and I do want to preface that, again, my case kind of is not exactly our topic, but it will work and I will surprise you with it. Go go forth. I'm excited. Um, So I have a little introduction on psychics since we are from the field of psychology it's worth i think discussing the connections or lack thereof between psychology and psychics um so four out of ten people believe that psychics are effective and billions of dollars are spent each year on psychics so there's two types of methods that psychics use to obtain information from their audiences so this is particularly referring to like TV psychics, but I think it could also apply to just regular psychics. So there's cold calling, which is just asking very general questions in order to elicit information from the audience or person. For example, you know, asking, does someone here know someone who's recently passed away? Or um, does someone around here know someone whose name starts with a letter L? And then there's, (laughs) it's ridiculous, but it tricks people. So then there's hot calling, which is getting information from people that they will meet um, by social media or otherwise. I think especially in the age now of social media where everything's so available. Um, one example in particular that um, I'll link this because it was one of my sources, but John Oliver did a, a little thing on psychics. Uh, there was a psychic that met with Matt Lauer, which aged wonderfully um but he was talking with 
Matt Lauer about his dad who'd passed away and talking about fishing and like Matt Lauer thought that it was the most amazing thing that this person was like reading his mind and it's like dude this information is all over the internet anyone could have found that out there's multiple interviews that you have referencing how you'd like to go fishing with your dad um so yeah that that exists so you know reasons that people who claim to be psychics might not be so trustworthy um so believing in psychics is succumbing to a mental error known as motivated reasoning which is when people accept whether or not something is true based on what they want to believe rather than actual uh, evidence. So our brains are constantly trying to avoid cognitive dissonance or things that just don't make sense in our brains or things that that don't quite connect with our beliefs and and feelings. So um, motivated reasoning is similar to confirmation bias, which is maybe a more common one that people have heard of. Or the idea that we seek out information that confirms our beliefs. Um, it's, so it's the opposite of critical thinking. Um, or, you know, approaching a topic with an unbiased outlook and having healthy skepticism. That's what you want to do. So confirmation bias is the opposite of that. And I'm sure people see that with their friends and relatives when it comes to politics all the time. Um, so another... Uh, ooh, Another reason people may believe in psychics, or if you've ever had like a psychic dream, um, could be known because, uh, or could be because of what is known as a self-fulfilling prophecy, or when a prediction causes itself to become true. So the term was first coined by Robert K. Merton in 1948. He used it to describe when a false conception evokes a behavior, making the originally false conception come true. So for all my Harry Potter fans out there, I know Natalie's a big one. Um, a great example of self-fulfilling prophecy is when Harry gives Ron the Felix Felicious, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, potion, um, liquid luck. So Ron believes he's lucky, causing him to have confidence when he's trying out for the Quidditch team. But at the end of the day, he didn't actually you know, give him the potion. So it was just Ron having that confidence in himself it's the same thing as if you have like a lucky pencil or you know you don't shave your beard before a hockey game or sports um so so an alternative explanation for what we're going to talk about too since we're talking about female psychics um so dr ronald riggio wrote this article for psychology.com about women's intuition what do you think about women's intuition, Natalie? I mean, I don't know. I I don't want to, like, fall into it or, like, believe it as, like, a real big phenomenon. But I do think as, like, human beings, we all have intuition. And I think women's intuition sometimes is a little bit more um, spot on. But it's also, like, going with your gut, right? Yeah. I yeah. think that's what intuition so, is. Yeah. And so I'm, like... It's kind of already true to you if it's inherently, I don't know. Anyway, keep going. (laughs) Well, so luckily there's an answer for, you know, is there women's intuition? Is there a supernatural explanation for it? Um, But disappointingly, it's evidence-based and logical. So research shows that women are better at reading facial expressions than men and therefore are 
uh, most likely better at picking up on tiny emotional cues. We also see that women are more expressive than men and are also seen as more empathetic. So um, Dr. Ron was saying there could be an evolutionary explanation for this. Um, since women have historically been in a lower social class than men, so they may have become more accustomed to reading nonverbal cues. It has also been suggested, I don't know by who, that over time men may have selected women who are better at reading the needs of their mates and their offspring. Um, so that just seems to be like a really sexist explanation and giving all the credit to the men. Basically. So I don't enjoy that. <laughs> But, so, that's some psychological background on, on psychics, and, you know, as all good researchers do, I decided to go out and have my own experience with psychics so I could bring it back to the podcast. I didn't tell Natalie about it beforehand, so she could be surprised. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Although I will say... It did end up being a very disappointing experience. So I, I went online and did one of those like, oh, you get for $2, you get 10 minutes with a psychic or whatever. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's do it. $2. I have that. I can spare it for, for a story. Um, so my psychic was like, I asked the question. I said, so I recently, I guess not so recently, started a business venture with my friend Natalie do you think I can trust her? And the psychic oh. was like, oh. tell me your birthdays and like the last time you spoke to her. And I did. And then the psychic was like, mm, it might be tricky, but it also might be okay. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. <laughs> so I was like trying to like prompt her because I wanted a more fulfilling, like you're the psychic here. So I was yeah. like, what do you think? Can I trust her? And the psychic's like, well, have you given her any money? And I was like, no. And then they were like, so it's probably, it's probably okay. I'm like, so what other advice do you have? And they were like, try joining a local woman's business administration or looking for resources online. Um, and I'm like, this give... is the most disappointing psychic answer that I've ever heard ever. Give Rachel back her $2, please. That Honestly, <laughs> I've thought about... Because I'm like, you didn't give me any sort of psychic answer. Yeah. I wouldn't... Like, uh, like, maybe. <laughs> this is just like a regular person's advice. Yeah. Now, I if don't there know. are any psychics out there, if you are listening, let us know. Can Rachel trust me? <laughs> yeah. I was quite disappointed. I was kind of hoping that they would say that I like couldn't trust you. And then I would be able to bring that back to the show and like laugh about how funny it was. But I didn't even use my full 10 minutes. I still have two minutes left because I'm like, this woman's just giving me very reasonable, like, can't go either way advice. So thanks for that. Um, we should have called one and recorded it on like while doing this. <laughs> we really should have, but I don't know if they could sue you. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Anyway, Next Halloween. That but if it was anything that. like that conversation, it would have just been a super disappointment. So I really love that you did that because that relates to my episode. Or not my episode. My case. But you're going second. So we'll just have to struggle through my case until we get there. 
Um, so to start off, on December 15th of 1980, a woman was grabbed out of her truck while on her way to work while stopped at a red light. The woman, 31-year-old nurse Melanie Uribe, I had to look up the pronunciation for that one, Uribe screamed for help while the three men fought to get control of the steering wheel. Witnesses watched this horrible scene unfold. There's a child screaming outside. Is that... Is Do you that hear that? In my background? No, or that's yours? in mine. Oh. Even the blanket doesn't block that out. Jeez. Okay. Um, so witnesses watched this horrible scene unfold and rushed to call the police. One citizen reported seeing two men force their way into Melanie's truck at 1045 p.m. They were able to give a description of the truck, which matched the description of Melanie's late model pickup. When she left her home that day, Melanie was wearing a white nurse's uniform, a leather jacket, and a brown sweater. People noticed right away that something was wrong when Melanie didn't show up for work. She was punctual. Holy cow. <laughs> this child. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, everyone. Um, so Melanie was very punctual and very reliable. So there was no way she wouldn't have shown up to her shift um, at Pace. Hold on. Pacoima Hospital. This is spelled P-A-C-O-I-M-A. And is pronounced Pacoima. Mm-hmm. Add that to the list of things that are not pronounced the way that they're <laughs> spelled. Um, at her shift in Pacoima Hospital in Burbank, California, uh, without letting someone know. So her coworkers tried to call the house, but they didn't get an answer. Melanie had an eight-year-old boy, and since she was a single mother, it didn't make sense that Melanie would just disappear out of nowhere. Melanie's disappearance was on the front page of the news the very next day. Now, Etta Louise Smith, who was working at as a shopping clerk, shipping clerk for Lockheed's aerospace plant, um, was listening to the radio a few days later. So Lockheed, if you haven't heard of it, is a pretty intense job. And her position was, you know, very respectable, required a lot of clearance. Um, so she was listening to the story of Melanie's disappearance when something unusual happened. She said it felt like someone was talking to her, telling her that Melanie was not at her house. So, Etta says that she was suddenly overcome with the vision of the location of Melanie's body. Etta saw a winding road that led to a canyon. She said that it was if she was looking at a picture. There were shrubbery and hills, and she, she saw something white. So she couldn't quite get a read on the exact location of the body, but had a really strong feeling about how it got there. I don't know why, but that description just, I had a flashback of like reading Twilight and Alice's visions of whatever's happening in the world. Keep going, ignore me. I never read Twilight. I saw the movie (sighs) once, but... Well, there you go. Alice, she had visions. <laughs> I don't remember it. it. I must have been like 13 when I saw it. Um, <laughs> visions. Anyway, so Ada rushed the police station at the Foothill Division to tell them about what she saw. At the time, Ada couldn't tell if Melanie was still alive and demanded that police look into this case. Um, they were reluctant, but because of her security clearance and her career, the police said you know what, we'll look into it. You know, she wasn't just some crazy woman off the street saying that she was having this vision. She 
her position carried a lot of weight, which, you know, made them consider even looking into this. Um, so Ada was panicked. You know, she was worried that the police wouldn't get there in time. And if there was any chance that, that Melanie was still alive, Ada wanted to save her. So she drove to Lopez Cannon above Lakeview Terrace with her niece and two daughters, arriving about 45 minutes after making her police report. Ada reported feeling overcome by the feeling of trauma as they were driving up the canyon. After searching for about 30 minutes while they were coming back down the canyon, um, they saw something out of their car. They, they got out. It was these fresh tire tracks that they saw. So Ada bent down and like put her hands on the tire tracks and she could feel, she could just feel the trauma in those tracks. So they followed the tracks and eventually saw a pair of white nursing shoes. When they got closer to the shoes, they had come across the victim's nude body. So the autopsy would later reveal that Melanie had been beaten, raped, and she had died from blunt force trauma to the head. The murderers had stripped her naked and left her in the woods. The women... How horrifying. Terrible. So the women rushed to find a forest ranger and led the police to the spot where they found the body. Just as Ada was not used to working with the police, the police were not familiar with working with psychics. So at first they were really skeptical of Ada's story, but, um, you know, they kind of kept going along with it because she worked at Lockheed. She wasn't just some random lady. Um, but the police did start to get slightly suspicious when Etta and the, the women led them to the exact location of the body. And Etta had said that her reasoning for going there was that it was really weighing on her conscience. So um, in her mind, she felt like she was responsible for whatever happened to um, this woman, but police were worried she might be making a confession. So even though Etta thought that she had done the right thing by showing them the body, there was no way she could have predicted what happened next. Etta was questioned by the police for several hours. She was also given two polygraph tests. Even though Etta passed both of these tests, the officers withheld that information and told her that she had failed. Etta was arrested on the morning of December 18th. They left Etta in the cell without any shoes or socks, and she wasn't given anything to eat or drink for 24 hours. So while Etta sat in her cell, the killers were out bragging about the murder. Spencer Nelson, age 21, and Lewis Camel, Carnal, Camel, Morgan, Carnal, I'm sorry, I'm blind, um, Carnal Morgan, age 20, were eventually arrested for suspicion of the murder. There was also a third suspect who was held at Juvenile Hall. His name was not released to the press. Um, so after that, you know, they let Etta go. They didn't say, sorry. They didn't say, you were right. Thank you so much for helping us find the body. They just kind of let her go on her way. Uh, Etta didn't take too kindly to that and eventually ended up suing the police and she won her case, wasn't able to find um, too much information about the trial or how that all went down. But um, I have a theory about what may have happened, what may have caused this psychic um, premonition, vision, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, so I, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, yeah, I'm like curious, like how? <laughs> I was curious about that. So here's my here's my thoughts. 
I read in one of the newspaper articles, there was just like this tiny little aside that said, oh, they found Melanie's body in the same place that they found the body of Lisa Rosales um, just a week earlier. So it turns out there was this seven-year-old girl named Lisa Rosales who was abducted when she was walking home from school and she was found strangled and her body was dumped in the same area. So, you know, me knowing not too much information about any of this is wondering, okay, did Etta Smith hear this story and then later make the connection that this was an area that people were likely to dump bodies that you know was kind of off the beaten path so that's what i'm curious about it just seems very unusual that this case took close or took or took place so close to this other thing happening do you think that etta thinks (laughs) that she really did have a psychic vision for this or do you think that she is kind of like in on in on it herself a little and like her mind just kind of may like leapt to that conclusion or something like oh or like maybe she was just she read that case about the little girl and just started imagining like this woman in a similar area as described in this other article or do you feel like she was just see know, i'm trying not to be sure. involved But my thought was how often do people hear about cases and feel like they have a strong idea of where the body is and try to go find it themselves but never end up finding it? Or how many calls do the police get in cases of missing persons where people say, oh, I think this is where the body is? So to me, this was maybe a situation where, sure, maybe she had a really strong feeling that that this was where it was, maybe people feel things a little bit differently um she did say before this case happened that she had never had any kind of psychic visions didn't really consider herself to be a psychic but did work with the police after this case and i couldn't find any additional information about you know the other cases that she had said to work on but to me you know maybe you lived in the area maybe you were familiar with a place that someone could go to dump a body where they wouldn't be seen and you just got lucky when you were driving down the canyon that you saw some fresh tire tracks where maybe tire tracks shouldn't have been that led you to to find where the body was so to me it's just you know maybe she had a lot of common sense and kind of used some deduction to figure out okay this is a place where it could have happened and just got a little lucky that she did end up not lucky um but it might have been a more of a coincidence than anything else that she did stumble upon um this body yeah well i hope she got a lot of money for uh from from that police department so yeah me too that's just awful well to me it's like why would the police not like wouldn't they check her alibi it would just be so unlikely that an older woman who had no connections to this person whatsoever and like the woman was beaten and raped like can't you tell that this is probably not a woman who's doing this um but yeah just a very unusual case 
it would be very this was back in the 1980s too so it would be very unusual that someone came in and was like i know exactly mm-hmm. where the body is and then like an hour later gave you a call and said i found it like um yeah. it made me think have you ever seen the tv show psych uh yeah a little bit um well yeah the premise of that show is that the guy pretends to be a psychic but he's really just smart and figures out everything on his own and then presents it as like a psychic vision um i'm wondering too if that's common among quote unquote psychics who maybe do kind of like the hot calling that i mentioned before of they're doing research on their own beforehand and then they come out and say like i had a psychic vision because they didn't want to say like oh i sat at this person's house or dug through their garbage or you know i'm basically a amateur detective yeah, that's kind of my thought with it. I'm like, I wonder if she, after she saw it or had this vision, actually went there first and then, like, found it and then went to the police. Like, I don't know. But yeah, based on the timeline, that? I'm not sure. Because she was at work and then she left. I think it was just, I feel like luck's not the right word for it, but it just ended up being a coincidence this place that she had a strong feeling because like i was saying how many other times have people had really strong feelings that they knew where someone Mm -hmm. missing was located and it did not end up being the case so this was just a case where you know it's gonna happen out of you know however many hundreds of times people say this is where the body is located there's going to be at least one or two times where someone actually does find the person. And yeah. this was just a really unfortunate circumstance for Etta. And I hope that she got a lot of money. Now there's a dog barking outside. What on no. earth? <laughs> My apartment is just hopping outside today. But that's that's all I had. I think that my case really did seem like... That's why I looked up women's intuition, too. Because it seems like Etta was just a smart person who made a a good assumption kind of based on evidence that maybe she wasn't even thinking about at that time, you know, um, mm-hmm. where she wasn't thinking, like she just had a feeling, but in the back of her mind, she was kind of processing, okay, where would someone likely go? Where would they probably not be seen by other people? She had maybe that other information about that other girl who, who was just found kind of tucked away in the back of her mind and, and kind of unconsciously processing that caused her to have this vision, but that's like the best way that her brain could think of to explain it. Um, yeah. So I think it's just that Ada Smith was really smart and kind of deduced that on her own. In the early 1900s, there was a huge revival of spiritualism. An often religious movement, spiritualism is the belief that spirits of dead people have the ability and the desire to communicate with us, you know, the living. And so during this time, it was kind of piggybacking off of the mass deaths related to World War One, which was from 1914 to 1918. And the mass, mass, I struggle with S's because of my braces. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and the mass 
deaths uh, related to the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918. And so there was a surge of the number of people claiming to have psychic gifts or a spiritual connection allowing them to connect with the dead. And uh, so this was taking place a lot in like the 1920s. And so a lot of prominent figures in the 1920s actually embraced spiritualism, like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, um, who created Sherlock Holmes, which only helped to give like validity to the people who are claiming to be mediums and psychics. So one person who was just not falling for it, however, was arguably the greatest magician of all time. Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't know. Guess. Greatest musician of all time. What time period is this? Magician, not musician. Magician. Oh! (laughs) Um, Houdini. Yes, Harry Houdini. Good job. Ding, 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 Rachel. Um, so, so sometime in the early 1920s, Harry was approached by a young private investigator named Rose Mackenberg. And so my case is about Rose Mackenberg. I realized I did not mention her name at the beginning. I didn't do that for mine either. We're really on top of it. Very professional. Leave that in your review. We all good. Um, so... A native of Brooklyn, New York, Rose, was investigating a case in which people who were advised by a psychic to do a somewhat risky investment ended up losing quite a bit of money. And so she was just doing some investigation and blah, blah, blah. And so although Rose grew up believing that people were actually able to communicate with the spirit world or psychically tell you your future, she wasn't so sure now. And so Harry Houdini was actually leading a very public campaign against fake psychics and mediums. He was impressed by Rose and he gave her some of his insider knowledge on the tricks many of these false psychics and mediums use to con unsuspecting vulnerable people out of their money. And so in 1925, Harry decided to hire Rose along with a team of investigators that he referred to as his quote, secret service to go out and investigate people claiming to be psychics. They would gather whatever intel they could regarding the psychic fraud, and then they'd pass it along to Harry. As part of this clandestine team of anti-psychic crusaders, Rose traveled ahead of Harry to the cities on his touring schedule. She visited locations where Harry was due to perform and infiltrated the local spiritualist scene. Rose became a master of very cool disguises. When she would arrive in a new place, she'd first visit a local department store or wherever it was that women were buying their clothes in the area. And she'd observe the trends and she'd take notes on the different types of local women that she saw and the respective types of clothes that they were all wearing. From there, she developed a very convincing disguise. Some of the disguises are described as follows. A smartly garbed widow, a rustic school teacher, a a small town matron, a credulous servant girl, a a believing semi-invalid, which what an offensive, I guess, disguise, Mm. and a vamp from the country, which I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know if she's pretending to be a vampire or something. Um, And a tipsy consultant. Yeah, I don't know if vamp is some sort of 1920s slang term. Oh, gosh. Let's look it up. (laughs) <laughs> Urban Dictionary. 
Oh, a femme fatale. Oh, okay. We're good. <laughs> we okay. can keep that. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. All right. Vamp is okay, guys. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, she would just, she, yeah, so she had a lot of um, ornate different disguises and i have a like i found a picture of a newspaper clipping and i can send it to you and like it shows her in like all of these different disguises yes Could be drawings. i can't tell <laughs> but so after picking the most appropriate and convincing disguise she'd pick a name usually something clever but not suspicious like francis rod rod spelled a-r-u-d and so if you abbreviate francis it reads f R-A-U-D, like fraud. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's right on the nose. She's sneaky. <laughs> yeah, so she had a few of those, and I was like, very clever girl. Um, <clears throat> then she developed a backstory. Sometimes she was a widow wanting to connect with her late husband. Other times she was a mother who just wanted to know a child, one of her children who passed away was safe. Um, and so Rose would later say, quote, I was never married, but I received psychic messages from a thousand husbands and twice as many children from the afterlife. So once in 1925, Rose traveled to Indianapolis to meet with a medium named Charles Gonsolas. Uh, Charles claimed to be one of America's leaders of spiritualism. He also claimed to have contact with an 800 year old Hindu guide in the spiritual world world. And he also claimed that he had contact with his spirit wife named Ella. And so Rose posed as a mother who recently lost her baby. She wanted to know that her baby was safe wherever her baby was. Charles informed Rose that for the cost of $25, he would teach her to communicate with those in the afterlife or the spirit world by looking into a bowl of water. A bowl of water? Not even yeah. like, oh, here's the... <laughs> the like tea thing that you can like read yeah, the tea, tea leaves, leaves or nope just look into a bowl of water um so let's talk <laughs> so as, as ridiculous as that is let's talk money for a second of course it's easy to say like 25 dollars mm, not so bad it is a lot but not so bad but if you but 25 dollars in 1925 is over $370 today so Dude, insane. I just spent $2 on a psychic, <laughs> and I think that that was a huge waste of money. So Yeah. So, mind blown. And so, even if his preposterous claim of reading a bowl of water or whatever could work, that is just an outrageous price, in my opinion. Like, but even worse, this weird Charles character told Rose that it would be easier for them to make contact with her fictitious spirit world baby if she took her clothes off for the seance <gasps> like what rose was no fool and she de- she declined this ridiculous offer yeah i'm gonna pay you money to see me naked <laughs> right what is this the doctor's office come on <laughs> oh that was good <laughs> Um, so Rose passed this information on to Harry and at Harry Houdini's forthcoming show in Indianapolis, one in which Charles was actually in attendance, Harry exposed him to the crowd for the fraud that he is. So this was a regular act for Harry. Whenever he got solid intel from his team, he would expose these fake psychics as part of a show. Um, and so I guess Harry's thing was... He really didn't like the idea that people were taking advantage of vulnerable people 
in like usually somebody's coming to you these psychics with hey my child just died my husband just died I want to communicate with my mother who died when I was a child and so these people are vulnerable um grieving and obviously a little gullible and so just taking advantage of them in an hour of need um he was just not really okay with that which I respect yeah it's like the the motivated reasoning because in my head I'm hearing this story and I'm like well duh why wouldn't you just go ask them any simple question and be able to figure out right away that they did not have connection with whoever your loved one but you want to believe so much that you don't even go down that route of yeah trying to figure out if they're trustworthy or not you're just kind of blinded by grief exactly um so in further efforts to infiltrate the spiritualist scene uh sometimes rose would pose as a believer or member of the spiritualist church itself um and so she actually ended up being ordained in many in in many of these churches so much so that her nickname in harry houdini's secret service was the rev which i thought was cool and it reminds me of rev from remember the titans which is a good movie and a good nickname um so of course eventually uh these tactics left rose and her employer with many enemies true believers who felt like they were attacking their religion were angry at them and then ghost racketeers which are people who were like willfully defrauding people they knew they were running a scam were upset because they felt like rose and harry houdini were threatening their livelihood and so sometimes pro-spiritualist people and anti-spiritualist people would clash in the streets and that would lead to riots um and on several occasions occasions rose and other members of the secret service actually got stuck in the middle of like these like riots and quarrels and stuff so in 1926 congress was debating the copeland bloom bill which proposed outlawing fortune telling in washington given his outspokenness on the subject harry houdini was called to testify before congress about his experiences Harry called mediums and psychics, quote, mental degenerates, end quote, and even cross-examined the professional psychics there to testify himself. Rose was also called to testify um, specifically on her experiences with a local medium named Jane Coates. She shared that Jane had actually confided in her um, that the Copeland Bloom bill wouldn't pass because four of the senators were her clients and that she knew that seances were actually regularly being held at the white house for president coolidge and his family wait what yeah so i don't know the president at the time may or may not have been doing seances maybe to tell him what to do with this country i don't know that i know not i know nothing about appalling (laughs) but you know what not surprising even if i heard that was going on today i'd be like you know what (laughs) appalling but not surprising Yeah. Uh, And so Rose recalled, um, it was my testimony, brief and pointed, that touched off the rockets and pinwheels of of giant crackers of startled emotions when wrathful persons broke in with protestation, protestations, and shouts of, that's a lie, and we never did such a thing. And so I think it's interesting for the um, senators to, like, stand up and scream, we never did such a thing. And it's like, why do you think she's talking about you specifically? Mm. (laughs) 
Like, I don't know. Giving you it might away. Be, you might be proving your guilt there. So despite all of this compelling testimony um, from Harry and Rose, the bill did not pass and fortune telling was allowed to continue in Washington. And so Harry unexpectedly passed away later in 1926 and his Secret Service disbanded. But Rose continued her investigative work. She also toured around the U.S. teaching and giving lectures on how to spot a psychic fraud. She wrote a series of articles for newspapers that were gathered into a manuscript called So You Want to Attend a Seance. Her investigations of science, of, sorry, her investigations of psychics and other fraudsters continued for much of her life until she died in 1968 at the age of 75. So that is the case of Rose Mackenberg. <laughs> that story is amazing. I've yeah. never heard of that before. Me neither. And so I, yeah, I was looking for um, psychic people who like helped with crimes. And then I found like this woman who was this like, master of disguise who was calling out psychic frauds and i just thought it was really cool so i yeah i didn't well i didn't know that houdini either had that kind of background of going and proving because he was a magician although i don't know that he ever claimed that he was like legitimately magic i think no i think i read um in doing this i read that he in like interviews was like very clear nope it's sleight of hand like this is what i like he wouldn't tell like what he was doing Mm -hmm. but it is sleight of hand i'm not i'm not calling from the mystical forces to help me do these things um which i respect because i feel like back then it was very easy to dupe people um Mm -hmm. people i feel like just wanted to believe in something and i guess suspend disbelief a bit and yeah well, yeah, and you're preying on vulnerable populations, too. Yeah. Oh. I think in his case, he had some experience with psychics in which he wanted to communicate with his parents who had passed away. And so he would see some psychics and, like, it was just all, like, nonsense. And because of that, Hullabaloo. it really fueled, yeah, it, like, really fueled his, like, vendetta or crusade, I guess, against fraud psychics. And so... Everything that I read, it sounded like he was specifically targeting f- psychic frauds. And so I feel like because of the specific- specificity, mm-hmm. I cannot say words like that anymore, <laughs> of that language, um, like I think he may have believed that there are some psychics that are real. Interesting. Yeah. But do you this think- isn't about him. This is about Rose. She's great. Yeah. Rose is fantastic. <laughs> she like wow i what a dream job of getting to go (laughs) undercover and like prove psychics wrong i also feel like this would be like a very cool like you know time period like show like i feel like oh my god yes netflix or or something like come on do it and also credit us and pay us our money for this idea yeah we get a finder's fee yeah 20 million (laughs) dollars Or our student loans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is basically, you know, about the same, but whatever. Um, so, Natalie, do you believe in psychics? Do you believe that people... Nah. That's such a... No, I do not. Boring answer, <laughs> but I think is also my answer. 
Especially with yeah. my horrible experience with the psychic that I just had. I just feel like if psychics were real and were accurate, they would be they would stand the test of time. Like they were super popular back then. And I feel like, well, why wouldn't there be why wasn't there somebody who warned us of the twenty sixteen the results of the twenty sixteen election? <laughs> why? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think there were people that warned us, but... But here's my pitch. If you're thinking about hiring a psychic, if you're thinking about pursuing that route, try talk therapy first, because therapists are supposed to not take advantage of you, and, you know, if you're seeking out a psychic for whatever reason, it sounds like you may need some help processing something, or... Um, doing something else and hopefully your insurance would cover that instead of just shelling out a bunch of money to a person who isn't trained at all to handle you know crisis situations or doesn't have a knowledge of treating people with trauma or um you know just might not have the right support that you're looking for that's what that's what comes to mind for me is that people might feel more comfortable turning to a psychic first than they would talking with a therapist but I say, don't waste your two dollars on a psychic. Get you a therapist. Yeah, give it a shot, guys. Give it a shot. Cool. Great episode. That was. Your case just blew me away. Oh really? Yay, I'm glad. I was like, I I feel like Rachel's gonna like this. This isn't exactly the topic, but I think she's gonna like this. Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast. <laughs>